Bible reading. Can everyone hear me? Thanks, Mal. <laughs> the Bible reading this morning comes from John 1, 10 to 18. Um, interestingly enough, we know uh, it was written by John, but um, scholars are, are still debating when. Uh, it could have been uh, the year AD 50. It could have been the year AD 85. Um, and, of course, uh, his witness to Jesus uh, goes on its its own way, and it's not based on any of the uh, the other Gospels. Um, and again, uh, whether he knew uh, of uh, any of those uh, is still being debated because of this uh, his fairly unique uh, literary style of, uh, of witness of Jesus. And you probably have noticed yourself the difference between uh, John's account and 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 those of the uh, the other uh, apostles. Anyway, reading from John 1.10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known to us all. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Paul, for another outstanding reading. Um, it's not uncommon to find apparent contradiction or paradox in the scriptures, is it? Uh, I've said from here before, at one place you get Moses saying, these are the kinds of offerings that you need to offer. Am I still on the right screen? Oh, we're going off. Um, uh, yeah, so Moses says, these are the offerings that you need to offer. And then a bit later on, the prophets say, God's not interested in your offerings. And you go, well, which is it? Offerings? Not offerings? I'm not sure. And here we have the paradox of someone whom though we were created through, we don't know. He remains unknown to us in a way. Or the God who goes to such extreme lengths to be known by his people and is yet rejected by those very people. One who is concerned with truth is the very same one whose grace frees us from the confining captivity of a too small appreciation of what is true. See, I think that there's a strangeness about knowing stuff. 
in a way. Are there some things that, as human beings, we just seem to know intuitively? We know, for example, when somebody uh, truly sees and appreciates us. Um, that might be harder when you're wearing a mask, but it can still happen. Uh, it might be in a conversation with a stranger, and you notice that either you really listen to them and or they really listen to you, and there's a connection somehow. Could be a thoughtful gift from a close friend. We know when we are loved and supported by those who are around us, when the community gathers with us and walks with us through the ups and downs of life. We also tend to know evil when we see it. We can sense injustice when we encounter something that would make us feel hard done by if indeed we were the recipients of it, if it happened to us. Or indeed we know when somebody does an act of cruelty. We understand those things. We, send, we, we share a sense of what being human means. We know what it is to behave in a way that is respectful, honourable, loving, kind, a way that upholds each other's dignity. In short, there's something about the way that Jesus behaved with people that people were instantly able to connect with. They felt at home with him. In meeting Jesus, it felt a bit like meeting an old friend who you'd known for a long time and yet were meeting for the first time. One of my longest uh, friend, friendships is a guy I met at Bible College in New Zealand some 32 years ago. And uh, not long after I left college in New Zealand and came back to Sydney, I'm a Sydney cider, um, and uh, met Joe and we were getting married, he decided to come across for our wedding, which I was really pleased about. And at the same time, he decided that he would look up his birth mother and father because he'd been adopted into the family in New Zealand and his birth parents had moved to Australia. And so he'd been in touch with them and worked out where they were and had made arrangements on, I think, a day or so after our wedding to go and meet his birth mother and then his birth father. They're in different places now. And uh, it was a very big deal, as you might imagine. And he was very nervous about it and we walked with him through that and I felt really privileged to do that. And afterwards, he told me of meeting his birth father. One of the most uncanny things was how similar they were, not just physically, biologically, you could understand that, but they had a very similar sense of humour, a very similar laugh. Uh, they had similar approaches to problem-solving. They both had a passion for flying and they were both trained pilots. Not that many people are pilots. and you know, It was kind of really quite strange. And he was my friend. He was in his early 30s at this stage, meeting his biological father for the first time and they very quickly felt like they'd always known each other. It was quite uncanny. And I think there's something of this level of familiarity of human identification that occurred with Jesus when he spent time with people. People just kind of sense, yeah, I really get him and he really gets me and we know each other because we were made through him and there's this connection or knowing. And yet at the very same time, there's this deep ravine of separation between Jesus and everyone else. He behaved in ways that kind of made no sense in the familiar culture. 
Jesus seemed to have an entirely other set of priorities, unlike anybody else's. He looked at the same things as everybody else, but he saw different stuff. Different things were of significance to him. Some people were almost repelled by Jesus. They felt unnerved by his presence, as if he could see right through them. People in authority wondered at Jesus' dullness to the power that they so obviously wielded. And it frustrated them how unintimidated Jesus was and proved himself to be in the face of those authorities. And others were simply unwilling to see what was being made so obvious to them. When Jesus, for example, healed on the Sabbath, the religious authorities uh, took him on for breaking the laws that Moses had handed down to them. And Jesus offered, I think, a very persuasive reinterpretation of those same laws. He talked about if your animal falls into a hole on the Sabbath, you pull him out, don't you? You don't leave him there, you know. This is a law that was designed not to do us harm, but to help us to rest, not to confine us, but to refresh us. And his interpretation was much more in keeping with the general direction of the revelation of Scripture for which the laws had been given, but rather than engaging with this argument on its merits or with Jesus in a respectful and thoughtful manner, they made plans to shut Jesus up and ultimately shut him down for good. Because there's something innately challenging about the idea of God becoming flesh. It kind of doesn't make sense to us. We expect the divine to be so holy, so other to us, that God could not take on our frail condition. And it's important for us to think about this. Jesus was not attempting to set up a new religion or even a variation on the religion that had already been there. Despite the way uh, those of us who have followed Jesus, because we love to codify and ritualise everything, uh, so much of discipleship now seems to be very religious in its kind of expression, I suspect Jesus would have been quite distant from much of the behaviour of the church over the last couple of thousand years. Christianity is not a religion, even if we try to make it into one. We make it into one because that's the most straightforward way for us to relate to God. But I suspect that if Jesus walked among us today, he would have responded to our religion much like he responded to the religion of his day and uh, not been very comfortable there. Jesus is fully in favour of shared community participation, meeting together, sharing life together, sharing meals together, those sorts of things, but never legalism or religion. And not, not even is Jesus trying to set up a new inspiring philosophy. So take out the religion, just the ideas, as it were. Certainly the way we reason and think about things is important, but Jesus knew full well just how easy it is for a person to fool themselves when everything's happening in our heads. He tells a story in Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee and the tax gatherer going up to pray. I'll read it to you, it's very short. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all I get. 
But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, it was the tax gatherer who went to his house justified rather than the other man. Because Jesus really understood how easily we get into a headspace that is very self-justifying. The way I do it, of course, is the right way of doing it. Why would I do it the wrong way? So we kind of just start to see our way of seeing as the right way of seeing and any other way as somehow lesser than. The Pharisee saw himself as righteous and he was according to his own sense of righteousness. But Jesus is saying what he is about is not simply the little conversation we have about life in our heads. It's much more about the lived reality. And Jesus does show us how to live with God, with other people and even with ourselves. His presence among us exposes us to ourselves and each other. Jesus' loving, gracious, life-giving way stands in contrast to our kind of evolved survival of the fittest instincts that keep shaping the way we engage the world. Jesus has the most expansive vision that does not exclude anyone. While none are forced into the kingdom, as if that were possible, neither are any excluded except by dint of their own preference. And we see this in the range of people that Jesus sought to fellowship with and the ways he engaged with various people. He wanted, to all, wanted all people to be equally aware that it is by grace that we stand. No other measure makes sense. And a primary way that Jesus included people was by sharing meals with them, a very intimate form of engagement. It satisfies both the physical requirements for you know, nourishment and also our social needs for meaningful engagement with others. I'm sure I've told this story before of a weekend that I, a retreat I attended where the coordinator got us to um, share around the table uh, and explain how we'd come to be at the event. And it was, as we listened around the table, the stories became more detailed, more personal, more profound and intimate. And the connection and the bond between us strengthened. We started to feel like we really knew these people and wanted to be known by them. And that experience stands out for me because I didn't know half the people at the table before that event. But similar things happen when we share a meal with anybody, even if we've known them for a long time. If we share ourselves at the table, we get to know them more fully and become known more fully. And this is the kind of enterprise that Jesus was very interested in. He wanted people to both know and be known by him. He wanted to know the people and for the people to know him. And that is the process by which hearts are transformed. It's in the relationship as we make connection with each other that those bonds form and our sense of what's important starts to shift. And John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, I think truth is utterly dependent on grace in the sense of discovering truth. I mean, you even think about the enterprise of science. Science is all about discovering what's true, I think. 
And there's no discovery of truth without grace. Scientists develop hypotheses, right? They think about stuff and go, I wonder if that's true. And then they do experiments to test it. Now imagine if you're a scientist and you only had one go at this. You had a hypothesis, you had to develop the experiment, and my God, it's got to work, because if it doesn't, you're out. No more science for you. Now, of course that's not how it works. You do an experiment and maybe none of it works, so you rule that out. Or maybe bits of it work, you go, oh, we've got something here, we'll develop that a bit further. It's full of grace. It's full of trial and error and attempting stuff and not succeeding and refining the process. This is how we discover what's true. It's full of grace. It's extraordinary. Science could not work without grace and neither can life. Our financial frameworks allow for limited liability companies so that you can go out and try something and if it doesn't work, you don't lose everything. Yeah, it costs you, but you don't lose everything. You need that to help you have the courage to do those sorts of things. This is a structural grace in a kind of way. Imagine the pile of grievances we would all be dragging around for all of our lives if we could not extend grace and forgiveness to one another. The level of family breakdown and civil unrest that would be the primary threat to human existence going forward. And you only need to spend time with someone who's unhappy with the people they live with to know how damaging that can be for one's sense of well-being. In some ways, we only get to know one another as we make mistakes. That's when our real stuff... You know, you heard the expression, oh, that person was really acting out of character. That's when their true self comes out because most of the time we're acting in character. <laughs> and we get to know each other as these moments happen and we, we travel with each other and seek to understand, well, what, what was going on there and what's going on underneath the surface and... This is actually how we grow as we extend grace and we make mistakes and we offer forgiveness to each other. Truth is, we are held by grace as well. There are many truths that are hard to hear and our attitudes and behaviours in the cold light of day are things that we often would rather not know about and we would disavow if someone said them too harshly to us, but often we are held by grace. Sad or confronting news is hard for us to take well, and that's why we have things like funerals, so we can gather around, and the community offers grace as we grieve together and come to terms with realities that are difficult. Life almost never works out just as we've planned. We struggle to manage many of these stresses, Yet there is grace that continues to hold us, whether it's through our partnerships or our families or our friends or our neighbours. We can find the surrounding mix of humanity a resource that, that uh, equips us to go on living well. Usually it turns out that... Um Sorry, I just didn't... <laughs> Usually life turns out to go in all sorts of directions that we never anticipated. But that does not preclude it being the very richest experience that we could possibly have. In fact, as a general rule, it's precisely the things 
where my life has left the rails I thought I'd laid down for it, where I discover a richness of life that was beyond my capacity to imagine for myself. I'm not sure I've told you this story before. I was engaged to be married at the age of 22. Imagine that, 22 years old, thinking I could be mature enough to get married. I reconnected with a local girl in my local church fellowship who I'd had a crush on in primary school. I was so happy to see her. And I duly, she had a boyfriend at the time at, when I first met her again. And they broke up and I thought, oh, God is really with me. We're going to connect. And I wooed her and we uh, started going out and I asked her to marry me and I couldn't believe it. She said yes. I really couldn't believe it. And we started to make plans for a wedding and it was very, very exciting. And then the relationship started to get a bit odd and I started to not know how to relate to her and she was a bit odd with me. And slowly but surely I knew something was really wrong and I still remember the night going around to see her and she said, I, Dave, I can't marry you. And I was kind of like, well, I worked that much out, but why? What's going on? And she didn't have a very good explanation and we were both confused and it really gutted me at the time. Life, I thought, was going just as it should and it left the rails. But I'm so glad it did. <laughs> it would have been a very different life for me and that she wasn't the right person for me and I couldn't possibly have known that at the time. And shortly after that, I decided I'm going to go and study theology because I don't understand how this all works and I went off to New Zealand and studied theology and then came back to Australia and worked with uh, troubled youth on the streets and met Joe and we fell in love and it was a whole different experience and the map that I had got screwed up and thrown into the bin and I thank God for it. Grace comes to us in very unexpected ways sometimes. And the most confronting reality, I think, the one that ta we take all manner of steps to avoid being aware of, is that we have an instinctual preference to not take responsibility for things. We'd rather someone else took care of stuff for us. Whether it's in this COVID situation, whether it's nations in the complexities of international trade, whether it's the dynamics between families in households, we tend to flatten out the issues simplify the story and in doing so we inevitably serve our own perhaps unconscious purpose. Much of what we do is tainted by a well-disguised self-serving motive and grace allows us to see that if we want to and acknowledge that truth and make decisions differently. See, there's a paradox expressed here in John's Gospel. The paradox we encounter when the categories we use to explain things are just too inadequate for what we're trying to describe or explain. God is bigger than our capacity to categorise or understand. And the responses to Jesus, I think, show this paradoxical dynamic. The presence of the Messiah challenges and confounds the way we think about everything. Yet God has come among us, known while unknown not well received by the very people who were looking for him, full of both grace and truth. And this is the one we follow out into the world and into our lives. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are not utterly understandable to us. The paradox of your love is a relief. God forbid that you would be made in our image according to our rules. But we thank you that you overwhelm us with love that sometimes confounds and confuses us. And even in circumstances we'd really rather not be in, we can discover your grace and you discover us and we can discover one another and live in your kingdom to the glory of your name. Amen.